Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. A smorgasbord of content. That's right. A smorgasbord today. And we can start off with a happy fitty donning the Carolina blue. Wes, despite the win, is not donning the Carolina blue like he did on Friday. Ah. Maybe even helping with that Carolina win, sporting the Rashad McCants look. Don't ever. All show long. And because of that, I believe because of that, Wes, you played a part in North Carolina getting a monster win. Hats off to you, Wes. Y'all let me down, man. Now I'm going to be tabbed with being some type of good luck charm for Carolina. So the next go round, I'm going to have to try to do something that could be duplicated as superstition. So that this doesn't happen again, because I do not want to be known as a good luck charm for the target. Fitty, is it already written in stone? Is it just oh, a fact man. that Wes helped out with North Carolina getting that win against Duke? They played well right from the rip. Like, they were so good immediately. I tweeted this out, even for a North Carolina Duke game, which always matches the hype. It's the classic. It always delivers. It's a great line from Jay Billis throughout his broadcasting career on this game. It always delivers, even for that type of contest. I tweeted out that this game drank jet fuel before the start of this tip because what we saw was North Carolina get up and down the floor and play with an intensity that is so hard to match. Duke couldn't do it. John Shire was even telling you after the game, you know what? Wasn't in love with the way we competed or lack thereof. And North Carolina was all over the place. How much should we thank Wes for what he did on Friday, oh Fitty? Oh my God! Look, I'm, <laughs> I'm not one. No, I'm not one to brag, right? It's just okay. not me. No, it's not. I've never heard you do it in the last two days. But when you host the critically acclaimed The Four Corners podcast, that has made many advances. You get special treatment. I got a one-on-one with Huber Davis after the win. And he said that was the best basketball they have played all year because they saw Wes Bryant in the full UNC getup and said, we got to we gotta perform for this man. And uh, boy, did they perform because that's as well the game of basketball they have played in the three years Schubert Davis has been our head coach. I'm just happy for you that you kind of had that effect, Wes. You know, maybe you should wear more Demon Deacons jerseys, to be honest with you. You, know, you-, you guys are just raising. <laughs> Just continuing to raise the level of hatred. It's just it's just continuing to rise today. I didn't even, and the thing <laughs> is, you guys got me. I didn't even expect you guys to go in this angle today. I didn't either, honestly. It just got, this I is thought I'd take the uni off. I thought yeah. I was done. It yeah. was over with. Oh, but, well, and now it continues. I, I'm a superstitious man. Me too. You you wore my shorts. I didn't wash the shorts. We win the biggest game of the year. You think yep, those shorts are getting washed? Yep, there's the too far comment. If Duke had How won, is that too far? Now the, way, now, the way that I would have gotten back in that uniform again is if Duke had won. Then I would award again for the next one. I wouldn't say it's worth it because there's not, I mean, there's not a worse feeling in the world than losing the Duke game. Mm-hmm. But to see you in the full Carolina get up again, because, Wes, you look good at Carolina Blue. 
We t- we said it. We did say that. Listen, I mean, I look good in everything, so that's like, <laughs> you know. Is, yeah. I mean, come on, what are we really saying here? But uh, I appreciate it nonetheless. But, yeah, man, that would not be going all the uh, My mom and I were sitting there talking about it during the game, just how difficult it would be if Bryce was fortunate enough to continue to uh, ascend and went to Carolina, what that might look like. Um, because well, he loves to troll us about the Tar Heels. Well, and, and I didn't even real I didn't know that I was going to take this direction, but it was just at the top of the dome. I was like, this this is a fun alley to explore. <laughs> shall we do this? We shall. Uh, yeah, so text in at 704-570-9610, especially if you're a Heels fan. And thank Wes for his part in North Carolina's victory over Duke. Heat fan said it. Love to see it. We appreciate you, Wes. We're making this more painful. And we, we really is. are. It is. It really is. <laughs> But it's okay. Uh, um, maybe we give Wes a little bit of a break and just allow him to talk about North Carolina's performance, what it means for the Heels, what it means for Duke. Let's get Mr. North Carolina himself. That's, that's a lot of credit. I bet you like that kind of title. Yeah, he's shaking his head in big-time approval. Mr. North Carolina, drive the bus, pull up to the scene, open up the doors. Let's do the damn thing. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! West, the heels were ready, man. They were ready as soon as that ball was in the air. Not only was the entire team ready to go, everybody played with, I think, the the highest motor they could possibly bring out there on the floor. But Armando Baycott and Harrison Ingram were very ready for this game. And I actually think going in, it was most important for both of those guys to show up more than anybody else. And I think that was true, even seeing how they affected the outcome of this contest. Watching Harrison Ingram come in as a transfer, playing a couple of years with Stanford, he was making a huge impact on this team already. But I was even talking about this with Colin before I left on Friday. Big time legacy moment for him. Coming in right after a loss to Georgia Tech. First game ever against Duke. We know that he is going to bring the intensity because he doesn't know how to play any other way. He did. He brought in a ton of, of boards. But to hit the five, six threes that he did... Harrison Ingram balled, and then Armando, after being questioned a lot offensively, his stat line. Harrison Ingram, uh, 13 rebounds. Armando Baycott, 25 and 10, and finished at a nice clip. How about 10 of 13? Two of the members of the front court, they showed out, and North Carolina as a whole got the win, 93-84 overdue. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a flip in motivations. You look at what happened with Duke. They were motivated by losing to Carolina in the Final Four and in Coach K's last game. They come out last season, sweep the Tar Heels. And then Armando Baycott, you could hear it in his voice. You could hear from these players that they were not thrilled about losing the last two to Duke and also losing the last two in Chapel Hill to Duke. So they were uh, ready to go in this game. And in that kind of rivalry, when you have those types of things that happen to you, you're going to come out a little bit extra motivated. Uh, I thought last night, Carolina, if they play this way, this is the type of team that could go to the final four and win a championship because you got everything pretty much checked off. Now, L.A. Cadeau could have been a little bit better. And to me, what Duke did to him is what I think a lot of teams should do. Well, Not go out long. and bother to guard him it, it at all. It took too long. Why did they, yeah. they should have done that. That's they, what I'm saying. So, Cadeau made it hard on them at first because the space they gave him, Cadeau still found a way to drive into the paint and then dish it. And so, that's what's tough. But then in the second half, 
they gave him the Caitlin Clark treatment. Remember when they played that team in the NCAA tournament? Caitlin Clark is all the way in the restricted area. She waves off the shooter, like as right. disrespectful as exactly. you can be. Yeah. Duke started doing that to Cadeau, and yeah. then then it got dicey for him. I think Hugh that's going to be the blueprint for teams in the NCAA tournament. They're going to be like, just leave him out there. But other than that, though, you got a couple of threes from Cormac Ryan, which you guys have been talking about. He hadn't been living up to his end of the bargain. But you got R.J. Davis having close to a 20-point game. But you got Baycott being what we expect him to be. These are the type of games that Armando Baycott should be playing at this stage in his career. 25 and 10 boys. And then Harrison Ingram, the guy that's been the utility belt for them. If you check out the video I made about him when we gave him king of the court at the ACC Digital Network, hit that follow button there. But I said he's like Batman's utility belt for them. He gives them whatever they need in a given time. And to get 21 points and 13 boys out of him, Carolina's undefeated when he has a double-double. So for the Tar Heels, they got every contribution they could expect to get from their key guys outside of Cadeau and the outside shooting on one for nine. That's not uh, going to be good. But uh, the, the Heels got an all-around performance, and it resulted in a win on the scoreboard. Even though they got outscored in the second half, the first half they came through and dominated enough to hold on. Main takeaway, Fiddy, watching this one, because I think you could argue that this was the best game that they played all season long. And this is a, what, third-ranked team coming into? I know they had the loss to Georgia Tech, but third-ranked team coming into this contest, and this might be their best performance of the season. Yeah, my, 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 my main takeaway was this game does what it does every time these two teams meet. It brings out the excellence in both programs, both coaches. Duke played really, really well. Offensively, They played well enough offensively to win the game. You score 84 points on the road, you shoot 51% from the field. That should get the job done. But Carolina's stars played better. And when the, the, the lights have been the brightest, sometimes this core has fallen short, Armando Baycott and R.J. Davis. But this looks to be a team that's on a mission. And they had the hiccup at Georgia Tech. They had an hour and a half meeting at 1.30 in the morning when they got back after the road loss in Atlanta. And I think they're back to where they were going into the week. This is the best team in this conference, and they are a legitimate threat to win a national championship. I think that's what a lot of people are taking away. Saw lots of my timeline on Twitter discussing, man, I'd like to see what they can do against UConn now. Yes. Now I want to see. Now, UConn, like, let's keep it real. UConn is still on a different planet, in my opinion. I think UConn, maybe different planet is too extreme. They're still in tier by themselves, in my opinion. I think it's UConn, and then I think North Carolina, Purdue, whoever else you want to put in that second tier. I just think there's enough separation for them. They're too talented. Guys are still getting better for that squad. I still have them in a tier by themselves. But, as we know, March is crazy, and we can see some of those teams fall, especially if you have another tough matchup against one of those tier two squads. That really is like tier 1B, and it's just UConn is just a little bit better than everybody else. But many people were saying, ah, now I want to see him play against Kentucky. Now I want to see them, certainly Villanova. Like, yes. that's just, you know, we, this team is playing that well to where they're absolutely a title contender based on how they all did step up. Last thing for me before you go again, Fiddy, like you brought up sometimes this core falls short. I will say, this was kind of a reminder of Baycott actually stepping up in some of the big games that he's played before. The NCAA tournament run, they get to the championship game. Baycott was an absolute beast the entire way, recording a double-double in six straight games. The most possible amount of games, unless you do the play-in, <laughs> unless you're a first-four guy, 
It's the most double-doubles you can accumulate in an NCAA tournament appearance. And so, Baycott does step up in these moments, and he certainly did against Duke. The ACC runs through me. That's what he said after the game. I thought you were talking about you. I thought you were in the first person again. <laughs> no, I'm Mr. North Carolina, not Mr. That's right. ACC. That's right. But I, I think that's what us Heels fans, and if you're just a you know a, a, an observer from from Carolina objectively, what makes this group different, man, is they've got an edge. And dude, that troll job when Baycott turned and scored through flip. Oh, where's the GIF? Because my, my whole bench was telling God. him he's too small. He's too small. <laughs> Oh my, oh no, no, but he's so right, Wes. Like, I don't know if you had the immediate takeaway I did. I was almost like cringing. Like we we see disrespectful, too small celebrations. The whole squad stomping on Filipowski, like metaphorically. I don't know if you saw it. It was Armando hitting the and one against Filipowski. Armando goes too small. The rest of the team, Harrison Ingram, they huddle, not because they're talking about the next play. They huddle to join in on the fun at Filipowski's expense. And then over on the bench, everybody is boo. Stop on him. Stop on him. It was as disrespectful a too small celly I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, that's why uh, I don't know what I was doing at that moment. I missed that. Well, you should go back and look at it. You can give your opinion on the other things Fiddy had to say, but I did want to give that some life because I thought that was a – you talk about different tier – Tier one is that celebration for too small, and yeah, then everyone else falls below. It, that's that's it damn near shove worthy. That's gonna start getting yeah. shoved off of that. I mean, the, 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 yeah, the, the fact that Filipowski didn't even come up swinging. Go on there and break up the huddle. What do you think else about Fiddy talking about this is the way that the conference runs through Armando? Like, that was the guy. I, I thought you could make an argument between Armando or Harrison to get the game ball. I think eventually it was the right choice to give it to Harrison. I just think his impact on both areas of the floor were crazy and, and not to take anything away from Baycott. That's the biggest difference with this team, though. They have not had a guy like Harrison Ingerman. I mean, I don't even know. Like, God knows how long. Not anybody that strong. He's different. He's unique in a way I can't compare him to anybody else I've seen the last 15, 20 years. He's a great sidekick for Armando Baycott. I mean, as far as what they can do, their work on the boards and all those things. But he's almost a point forward in a sense. He can get the ball and he can take it uh, down the court. I did a video actually about him last week for the ACC Digital Network um, illustrating all those things, just how versatile his game is. He can get the rebound. He can take it up the court himself. He can find the open players. Like, he, he does a lot. He's just a playmaker, Swiss Army knife type, and uh, he's a perfect sidekick for Davis and Baycott. Last thing for me, too, on this, Trimble, great off of the bench, really helped them out, scoring 10 points, going 5 of 9, even missing a couple three-pointers. Seth Trimble was very good. But this was a game where R.J. Davis was the third best player on the squad. That's big, in my opinion. They've relied a lot. I would agree on that. They've relied a lot on him offensively, and that was part of the criticism that we had for Baycott. Yo, this is R.J. Davis doing everything he can. Even Harrison Ingram getting in the 20s early in the season, he had a big old stretch where he was scoring 10 and 11. But really, it was the rebounds as to why we were celebrating his performance. RJ was a guy averaging 25 a game in this certain stretch. And then he goes cold because they focus on him so much. So now when you focus on RJ... 
They got other guys that can contribute, and that's huge going forward for this team if they are going to compete with the best teams in college basketball. Big-time performance, no doubt about it. Against a rival like that, North Carolina, one of the winners of the weekend. We'll actually talk about another winner over the weekend, my Charlotte 49ers. They are balling right now. Fernville was lit next to Halton Arena. We got the athletic director, Mike Hill, talking to us about that game, that environment at 2 o'clock. You will not want to miss that. And then coming up next, how about we go to a different coaching staff in the NFL? Ajero Averro, staying with the Carolina Panthers officially. How big of a deal is that for Carolina? That's coming up next, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Takeaways from the Heels Blue Devils game. You can text us 704-570-9610. Roger the Irishman, when he gets going on a text rant, it doesn't stop. In fact, just to let people know where we stand, I have not counted all of the text messages that he sent, but he's a big, I'm going to send multiple on a single point kind of guy. So from 1205, we got, holy cow, Calm down. One win. I don't think Duke is that good. We got another holy cow. We got another calm down. I think what? Probably 10, 15 text messages later. He just ended another one with give Armando Baycott the NBA ring now. Like when it comes to text rants, Roger the Irishman is the Yukon of all of our listeners on WFNZ. <laughs> Throw daddy. He comes on there talking that noise. Doesn't he? It's also not the worst hating text we got last segment. Uh-oh, what's the other one? Adam and Cornelius said we were talking about Armando giving the too small sign, which then the whole starting five and the whole bench did. I'm sorry, but that was so lame. Yeah, that's what Adam and Cornelius is saying. I, look, you can feel how you want to about it. All I know is I've never seen a collective too small celebration like that before. I, I just like, do, do you hate fun? Like, like, do you, I mean, like, here's the thing about Armando was like, he then was doing it while he walked by Filipowski. It wasn't like he was going the other way doing it. Like he made it known that it was, I'm going to do this in your face. Kyle was right there. And then the whole starting five did it. And then, the dude, even Paxton Wojcik was over there giving Kyle Filipowski the, oh, but that's lame. Get, get but the fitty, hell out fitty, of here, fitty. Now keep it a buck. If the roles had been reversed and Flip had done that to Baycott and Dukes Bench did that, I can't even think of the ungodly things you would have said about them and the names you would have called Duke and you would have said it was lame. You would have keep it real. So, so no, I want to explore that, though, because keep it real. I was going to kick this to both of you guys. I don't know how you guys felt about the coverage of this game, 
I, I saw Joe Ovius discussing this a lot, and you know he's been covering this game. He's been covering Triangle Sports for so long. I, he he had some interesting thoughts on the way it was covered. I thought that this game did have a lot of excitement, and it didn't feel like I was in the majority, or maybe it was just 50-50. Maybe this was just kind of a polarizing game with all of the fanfare or lack thereof going into it. Because I did think that people were ready to roll with this one. And it felt like even just after the game. See, the game is always going to deliver to. We're always going to get a good one. You, you, yeah, you got your outliers, right? Like, we get it. But you can bank on this one being an awesome contest if you go there, see it live for sure, or just watching it on ESPN. But even after the game, it felt like there was somewhat of a nasty revival. Like, it felt like, oh, Kyle Filipowski, new villain, getting the elbow to R.J. Davis, having a black eye after that. Like, Filipowski getting the too small celebration against him. You you have just a different type of North Carolina team. The first win that Armando had in a while at home. It just felt like there was a little bit of nastiness revived, resurrected from this contest. Not to say that it was without that. We still had great moments in hell. We're just a couple of years removed from the Final Four. But I think, you know, Inovius again called it a little bit of a hangover effect. I felt like we got over that. And it, and it felt like we got something from this one in a way that reminded me of, oh, we're pretty high up there at how much these teams hate each other and how much these fan bases hate each other. What do you think, Wes? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are always going to be moments they're going to have that when they're going to get at each other and taunt each other. And me personally, like I said, I'm always here for trash talk. I'm always here for teams doing things uh, of that nature. I just had to give Fitty a little smoke right there uh, because I know, like I said, if the roles had been reversed, oh, no, you're not he wrong. probably would have yeah, okay gone foul line. But uh, regardless, and as I'm looking at it now, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a good team celebration, a good team taunt. I know Duke will remember that one, and I'm sure they'll probably have something in store uh, for Carolina. So Carolina fans, you have to be ready for that. If they beat you guys in Durham, Best believe they're going to have something cooked up for you after you did that. But that's the fun part of rivalries. And if you want to re- relate it to fun in that way, the fun of a rivalry and both sides going back and forth, especially for somebody that, you know, is on the outside and not a, a fan of either team, except Duke when they play Carolina, uh, they would, um, you know, it's going to be fun and it's going to be cool. So if, if Duke is able to get a win, I'll be interested to see what they have cooked up. But in Fiddy, that's what I'm talking about. Like what Wes – they were fighting. They got chippy. Guys had to be separated yeah, that's a little bit. That's what you want from a that's rivalry what I want. like this. Yeah, that's, that's what, what I want. want. Get nasty. Fight some dudes. Throw some bows. Celebrate in their face. It felt like we got that in this game. So, And maybe this is two separate conversations. Maybe we have a conversation about the lead up. And maybe we have a conversation about what happened afterwards and what it could do for the rivalry going forward. But, man, I felt like we got a little something that reminded me of how much these teams hate each other and these fan bases hate each other and how they were willing to go at it. And plus, it's a top 10 matchup. Duke, like a little underwhelming this year, but not much. Still deserving of a top 10 ranking. Do you feel me on what I'm saying, Fiddy? I don't think I'm qualified to talk about the way this game is covered because I view the game differently. As someone that lives in the rivalry every day, to me, it is the greatest rivalry in sports. It's not covered that way. Um, like, is, is an hour college game day enough to build up hype anticipation for a top 10 matchup between two programs that are that close together, that are that equal together? 
I don't think so. And maybe national, we need to, like, maybe I'm trying to have two conversations at once, yeah. right? Because um, nationally is different. Locally, it felt like it had the heat. Nationally, maybe it didn't feel that way. And look, I, I know I know the game broadcast went long because of the, the way that the game, the, the way that the, the, the end of games take forever. And so when, when Duke wanted to play it out, the game went long. We didn't have to rush to Tennessee and Kentucky. Put it on ESPN News. Like, and then you, if you watch the halftime coverage of Tennessee and Kentucky, the first highlight you see is from Alabama, Mississippi State, not Duke, Carolina. And, and so I'm not qualified because I think that game should be covered as close to the way that they cover the national championship in college football because it is the premier, it's the, it's the premier regular season game of college basketball. The college basketball world stops for Duke, Carolina. But it's not covered that way because there's no longer two networks and because ESPN doesn't control the NCAA tournament. The reality is, is in the modern era, they don't care about covering that game the way they used to when they built the rivalry to a point where it's a national rivalry. Part of this just might be also that college basketball has fallen off as a whole in terms of its popularity the last however many years you want to roll with. Well, not only that, it's the fact on how they schedule it. Um for that game to be played at 630 and then there were other ACC games after that or going on at the same time. Like, that didn't make a lot of sense to me either. So if you feel like that it's the marquee game is still what it once was because these games did used to be played at 8 o'clock and things like that. So I didn't like it, Because I started watching the Wake Forest game before that was over. I had both games going and I'm looking at kind of both games as that game was closing and I felt Carolina had it in hand. I had kind of switched my attention to Wake and Syracuse. Yeah, I I will say just for me personally, I did kind of like it though. I don't know why. It just felt I didn't have to wait as long. And it was still at a time where everybody could get hunkered down and start to roll with North Carolina Duke and be ready to go. Like may, maybe that's also why you don't have as much pregame tuning in and maybe that's true just because you know you're still out and about on that Saturday around when it's ever it starts like 5:30 something like that and then you got to get back home in time. So you're right. I, I it would make more sense for it to get closer to 8, but just me personally, I enjoyed it and still it still felt like a big game. I even said it feels like midnight after the game was done. Because that, that's all I was looking forward to. And so after this, you know, so we, I had Charlotte at two. So it was great to see Charlotte get the win, by the way. Big shouts to my Niners. So we got to see that game. And then Carolina Duke at 630. When that game was over, it felt like it was late. And then I look at the clock and it's like, I think 845, something like that. I was like, damn, <laughs> I feel like my whole day spent. I'm tired. I feel old as hell right now. That's how it felt to me, at least. I mean, like, uh, I'll speak from, as a, again, a guy that lives it. It doesn't feel as important with it being tipped off at dinner time. Make it at 8 p.m. I prefer a 9 p.m. That way, and Wes made a great point. Why are we playing other ACC games during Duke Carolina? No one gives a crap about Wake Forest, Syracuse, except Wake Forest, Syracuse fans. The league should come to a the world. The basketball world should stop for Duke Carolina. I think Myron Gumbring is a great point. Um, ABC televises women college basketball. Can we not put Duke Carolina on ABC? Can we not put it on on, on a channel that takes it to a national platform? To, to make the rivalry return to what it does, wh- wh- where it was, and where it, where it should be? Is that, that too hard to ask in 2024? Now, I will admit, because we do see one uh, text on the text line. They said no one cares about Duke UNC the way you, you think that they do. I, I mean, I would disagree yeah. with that, but I think that from a national perspective, it has taken a step back as far as, like, if you want to ask the average fan who's not – 
a big fan of either one of these teams? Like, are they, you know, is this stop everything appointment television? I don't know that you get that answer anymore, but um, still at the end of the day, there are things that could be done to make it, put to put it more on people's minds. If you gas it up more, and like I said, you don't have, because NC State was playing uh, at the same time as well. So if you take this game and put it in one of those slots, and like Vinny said, if you do put it on an ABC, then I think that you would get a little bit more uh, of the collection of interest that you're looking for. No, and, and maybe that text was meant to dunk on us. Like, I no, I'm totally open to no, hearing no that. Doubt. Maybe, no maybe doubt. that's true, though. Like, especially, maybe it's just not necessarily Duke, North Carolina, but if college basketball suffers, then so will its biggest rivalry. And that's why it doesn't seem as national. Oh, and that's a big so, part of it. The sport yeah. isn't as popular as it was 25 years ago. Hell, even 10, 15 yeah, years ago. And one thing I will say, too, is I think that there could be a little bit of fatigue at play. Because I know as a producer myself and doing stuff for ACC Digital, I do get tired of doing the same stuff for that game every year. It's the same clips, the same stuff, the that's, same yeah. nostalgia. No, you're right. And I think people do kind of get tired. Of, like, I think they see the clips come on, and they're like, oh, God, here we go again. We're going to see Hansborough with the bloody nose. We're going to see Austin Rivers. We're going to see this. We're so, this see that. Is, so I think you could put some fresh takes on the game to kind of – to kind of freshen it back up again. You know what? I totally agree with that. I to- Because we even have those moments now, especially, hello, this game gives you one. Yeah. Now, exactly. Now what you should do. Start taking new stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. In, in five years from now, whenever they're going at it, go back and show R.J. Davis with a black eye. Yeah. Go back and show Kyle Filipowski getting clowned. Too small celebration. Yeah, like you said, show you can take some it. new takes on it. Yeah, so you're right about it. I completely agree. Let's move on. Let's get some Panthers conversation in here. We got the campus corner more so um, reserved for Carolina Duke and Charlotte 49ers as well. But we have some news that is officially official. We talked about it as if it was official after Dave Canales said he expected Ajero Averro to come back to this coaching staff. But according to Joe Person of The Athletic, as we read his write-up, it's now official. Avero is expected to come back and coach the defense, be the D.C. for another year after doing a good job his first season. The 43-year-old Ajero Avero drew strong interest from other teams this hiring cycle after overseeing the league's fourth-ranked defense in 2023. It was the second year in a row Avero has directed a top-10 unit. Avero interviewed for three head coaching vacancies, Seattle, Atlanta, and here in Carolina, and had several other teams calling about their defensive coordinator openings. But Wes, eventually he stays here. I know we gave our thoughts already, at least a little bit on this, but as it's reported that it is official now, Avero is going to be coming back. I do think that this is, given the hire of Canales, it's what I wanted. I didn't want to take a chance on hiring a new DC. I'd rather just have the guy that did a pretty good job last year with a bunch of injuries, and maybe he can improve, just like players can improve. If you have two units, despite different guys, different collection of players with Denver, different collection of players here in Carolina, so many injuries, you had to adapt on the fly. Yeah, I'll take that guy every single time if you're telling me I have a chance for him to call plays for that side of the ball. Yeah, I think if you've got good chemistry with the head coach and you guys can get along and you guys have uh, a emerging of philosophies as far as what you want to do, then yeah, I think it's great. And so I think with what Evero did, obviously there are things that need to be improved upon, but he did do a pretty good job with this unit, especially considering how many injuries they had and how much they were on the football field last year. And so <laughs> yeah. uh, I think when you look at all that and some things in the offseason, we'll see what turns out because there are some big contracts to be done there. 
And then what are you going to do to improve this defense from a personnel standpoint? You and I had the little tiff on Friday about the cornerbacks. Like, you know, w- what is going to be done to this defense to make it better? Because you still have trouble stopping the run. Still don't get to the quarterback as far as sacking the quarterback and getting home as much. So those are things to be improved. No team's going to be perfect from one year to the next. But I think that also he had a great audition to keep his job. He had two. As a matter of fact, most people don't get mm-hmm. two chances to audition for a job. Evero got two, and Canales mentioned that in the press conference. He said, you know, playing against this guy's defense, it was as difficult as anybody's. And so when you're doing that, you're going to say, hey, I want that guy on my side because I don't want to have to have him go to another team that's on our schedule or in the division that I got to deal with this twice a year. I want other teams to feel what I felt. And so I think Canales made the smart decision. He knew, hey, he has so much confidence and uh, in his offense and what he can do. And so he's looking at Evero like, well, hell, if that guy can give me a hard time two times over, even after I've had time to make some adjustments and even with key guys out, he's like, shoot, I, I can't wait to see what this guy can do with the defense at full strength and with the right personnel. Well, and, and think of some of the strong offensive units that they also held back this year. You, know, you didn't do it with Dallas. Okay, so Dallas scored 33. That was something we all saw coming. But also against Houston. Their offense was pretty tough to stop, right? And they only allowed 15 points to the Texans, who are already established. You you could argue it's early in the season, and that's fair. C.J. Stroud wasn't. Yeah, but a, we had seen them. Yeah, for sure, no doubt. Like we, rock some people. Yeah, absolutely. And then you go to yes, Detroit, Miami, back to back, 42 points a pop. I think they held Miami in check as long as they could in that first quarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> before before it was just time. Mike McDaniel, Tyreek Hill. All right, guys, that was cute. Enough of this 14-0 deficit. We're going to take this lead back. Please and thank you. I just think the way that you were, especially just adapting to all of the guys that were injured, it got Charlotte Hornets-esque for a while. Now, the Hornets have since surpassed that, in my opinion. But it did get Charlotte Hornets-esque, all of the injuries that you suffered. And you were still able to put together what was, I thought, a pretty good year. You mentioned Dave Canales saying, hey, when I had to game plan against that guy, it was really tough. Let's hear from Canales himself. Here he is talking about Ajero Avero and how impressed he was with him. Oh, my gosh. I mean, just the respect factor that I have going against him. I know I know this scheme going against it. I'm really excited to learn more about the ins and outs as far as how the calls come in, the adjustments and all that. I just know it was really difficult on me for years uh, whether it was in Seattle going against the Rams in that family, um, or this year just going against EJ twice, so and this is this is really important for me, um, especially as a as a first time head coach who's like I'm here to make sure we get our football right, especially on the offensive side that we have that continuity um, with the players with with EJ. You know, just being able to have the mentality that I saw that was really challenging to play against. And then that's something you also forget about when Avero was with L.A. Wes, L.A. owns Seattle, whether it be Sean McVay, that defense can't stop him. But we know about the Rams just owning Seattle. Remember, even before the Rams were good, before you had Jared Goff, remember, you get the first overall pick for a reason. Right. And that was, you know, Jeff Fisher first year with Jared Goff. They were terrible. But even before they flipped the script with Sean McVay's first season, that was a team that would upset Seattle, having already been established as the Legion of Boom. There's just something there. And then so Avero continues that when he's there. And then you go run Denver and Carolina. You got to like him doing this at multiple stops. He should be a head coach at some point. And 
I'm here to have him on his last stop before he's a head coach as a Panthers fan. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about it, too, is, and I was going to bring up the fact that even in some of those games where they did give up um, larger amounts of points, it was still, like, ugly. The teams had to do it in an ugly fashion. And like, it took it a while. It would take them a yeah. couple of possessions where they three and out or something like that. Like, it wasn't like teams were just coming in going up and down the field all game long on teams. And a lot of it, too, was attrition from – the games when the offense kept giving the ball back to the other team and not in the forms of turnovers, but just three and outs, three and outs, three and outs. And so against some of these teams, yeah. I mean, hell, we saw this Miami team score 70 on Denver, the guys that used to be playing forever. <laughs> so for him to hold them to 42, and that game was ugly. Like, it took Miami a little while to get to that 42. It wasn't just an easy where they coming out, boom, 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 every possession. You go six, seven straight possessions with points. And so I think that's something – uh, to be honored, too, because the, the the casual eye would look at the score and say, well, you gave up 42 to this team, 42, but it was an ugly 42. Like, they had to fight and scrap to get to that 42. And so I think that's another aspect of this defense is that, you know, even with limited personnel and things of that matter, he makes teams have to get it out of the mud. Yeah, not to, you know, belabor this content, but I did want to go back to Averro being with the Rams from 2017 to 2021. No, I don't want to extrapolate this and say it's all Averro as to why but he wasn't even calling the plays so you know take this for what it's worth that's totally fine but the Rams only allowed three wins from 2017 to 2021 with Averro on staff like they got that win October 8th in 2017 they lose the next three they win a game lose the next two win a game lose the next two like the Rams They've owned Seattle. And Seattle's been still a good football team. So Canales is right. Like he he has experience with Averro even more so than just what we saw this past season. Speaking of the Rams, speaking of Seattle, a couple teams that have made it into the Super Bowl this past decade. Carolina did at least in 2015, but we're almost there. We're almost at the 10 year anniversary of that team having made it to a Super Bowl. What do they have to do to get back? And can they emulate any of these teams that are in the Super Bowl this year? We'll get to that next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, folks, to the Weston Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I like that right there. That's a nice little soundtrack coming back in to that one. But, folks, it is Super Bowl week, Super Bowl 58 to be exact. You got something, Walker? You're looking at me like you are dying to say something. I'm, I'm not dying. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm just dying. <laughs> do, I look, do I just look like no, I'm dying you at me like, y'all, I got something. But anyway, uh, both teams <laughs> arrived uh, yesterday, the 49ers and the Chiefs. 
they came in. And so, you know, it got me to thinking about uh, myself. Obviously, all of you guys out there, unless you're a new listener, you guys know I'm a 49ers fan and just how I'm feeling this week. Are you kidding me? People are starting to ask me uh, different questions about how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking and things of that nature. And so I wanted to know from Panther fans, take a walk down memory lane as far as the two Super Bowl appearances. Uh, that were made by the Carolina Panthers. What was that week like for you guys as fans? Like, what did you think that Monday? Because the Panthers, I'm pretty sure, came in as underdogs against the Patriots, and then they were heavy favorites against the Broncos. So I think it's two trains of thought there. You go into it against the Patriots, and it's more hope and kind of wishing on, you know, you're like, man, I know they're counting us out, but I think if they do this, I think if they do that, they can win it. And then the Denver Super Bowl, I think Panther fans were pretty confident that they were going to go in there and roll because that's what I thought. After the after the playoff run, so I'll tell you my thoughts. When they went in against the Patriots, that was exactly what I thought. I thought, all right, you know, this team, this is tough. They're going up against the Patriots. And at that time, Brady wasn't Brady yet. But as that game went on, I started to believe more. I'm like, man, they could really do this, especially when they started to score points. But I know coming into the game, I was like, man, if they could pull this off, this would be crazy just to think as a kid growing up in this city what it would be like to have a major team, especially NBA. We had already had the Hurricanes at that point, but NBA or NFL to win a major sports championship is something I thought I'd never see. And then when the Cam Newton Super Bowl came, I thought, oh, the Panthers are going to roll. Like I was like, man, because at that time, you know, I was not a fan. And I was just like, man, I don't think that the Broncos are going to be able to have enough for these guys. And so uh, let us know out there on that text line, 704-570-9610. What were your thoughts as the Panthers went into the Super Bowl on Monday during that week? What did you think? Walker, your thoughts on that? I know you were a little, uh, you know, you were probably still in Pampers at that time or under rules or something like that. No, I was, I was, I was, uh, (laughs) under rules. You remember those? Yeah, I was, uh, I was 10, (laughs) 11 years old and I was still in diapers for sure. I knew it. That'd be tough. Can you imagine if I was still in diapers at that point in time, that would be tough. No, I had graduated from that. I was actually using the big boy potty. And so that was something that I remember also watching Carolina run through the postseason like they did. Yeah. We all knew they were an underdog going against new England. I think the fandom, the hope, allows you to still believe you have a shot. And then they did. They had that shot at the end of that game. Going into Denver, I mean, also the fandom, it 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 almost brings out the worst in you mm-hmm. in both in both varieties. It brings out the hope if you're the underdog, and it brings out the paranoia if you're the favorite. And then if it's even, then you're just sweating. <laughs> you just got a lot of stress rolling in. So against Denver, like that defense was insane. Yeah. It was being a little bit compared to the 85 Bears. It was. Their numbers were absolutely ridiculous because, remember, Noodle Arm Peyton Manning was not the reason as to how they got to the Super Bowl that year. It was all because Von Miller turned out to be man of the year, man of the offseason, hitting Sports Illustrated on the cover, being the guy that was most celebrated. And that's tough to do. It's like Ray Lewis, some of these other guys, like Tampa Bay, who wins with their defense. It's more of a unit. But more of a unit with Denver, and then Von Miller is the head of all of that. I knew the defense was going to be great. I still had a lot of confidence with Carolina because they had won in so many different ways. They blew people out. But also, I think everybody points back to that Seattle game October 18th after the bye as to, oh, okay, this Panthers team is for real as they go 5-0. and You go to Indianapolis. They win in overtime 
It was a big old drop, I believe, that game from Ted Ginn that felt a little dicey whether they were going to pull it out. But they went a close one there. Everybody remembers the Cam Newton gif of him grabbing his collar, shaking his head. Okay. Okay, Giants scored. We got to go get a field goal. I'm cool with that. And then they do it. They win 38-35. to They run through the first opponents. They allowed Seattle back into it. But they run through it. Yeah, we were confident, but I didn't think for sure that they were going to win. I thought it was going to be a tough matchup. And then eventually the offense just gets beaten pretty badly. Fiddy, I'm going to come to you in a second, get to a couple of texts. Russell in Vermont says, deep down, I knew the Panthers would lose against the Pats. Definitely thought they would beat old ass Manning. <laughs> uh, then uh, Casey Steve, look, man, he says this segment brought to you by Gaslight, presented by Wes. I mean, no Gaslight. My, How team, dare my you? team has lost the last two Super Bowls. So I know yeah. what it's like and what you feel like going into that week. And so. You know, we at Wesson Walker try to tie in the Panthers to the trending topics as best we can. And so I figured with Super Bowl week kicking off, obviously the Panthers are not in it. So we want to know what it was like for you guys when they were uh, in it. And then last text I will read before you go, Fitty. Darren says, I was at the championship game against the Cardinals. I literally cried when we won. <laughs> when it came up on the board that Denver won the game, we went crazy. I thought it was going to be a blowout. That's kind of what I thought, too, until they got into the game. I just thought that the way Manning was playing with the neck and he couldn't throw like that. And as you said, that I mean, that NFC Championship game, I thought the Cardinals had a good chance to beat the Panthers. And Destroy then they them. blew them the smithereens. I was like, Terrible. oh, God. In my head, I said, oh, God. I said, Panther fans are going to be unbearable if they win the Super Bowl. Fiddy, what did you think? All right, so 2003, remember, remember they got Jake T-shirts? I, yes, do. I do. I think I do remember yeah. that. Yeah, I remember I getting remember one those. the week of the game, at, you know, on a, the corner of somewhere in Monroe. So, like, but I was seven, so at a Super Bowl party, watched the game, but don't really remember it. In 15, I wanted Denver to win. I actively rooted for what? the Broncos to win. I was anti-Cam. I wanted Peyton Manning to get his second ring. And so when he didn't jump on the fumble, I, I enjoyed it. So, um... <laughs> You know, wow, this really did turn into it. Did I, well, I didn't expect that one? But you got to remember, that's hate, their fifteen hate. in one year, and after they went into Dallas and did what they did to the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, I was at a point in my life where I was done with Panther fans because you ain't won nothing, haven't won nothing. You win a game on Thanksgiving and you're out here celebrating like you won the Super Bowl. Then you get there and I watch it all fall apart. I was I was happy with the result of that night. Now I want them to win as many games in the regular season, make postseason runs, and maybe win Super Bowls at the expense of the Cowboys. Yeah, because uh, uh, 803 number says his thoughts going into Super Bowl week, he said he was happy as hell. He said, I basically didn't work all week, and nobody <laughs> else did either. He said, and we didn't have Kelvin Benjamin, and we're still dominating Dan and Kramer Mountain because that's the thing too, man. This isn't a pedigree franchise to where you're like the Steelers and the Patriots and the Cowboys where you have – Multiple temp well, the Cowboys might be a little different. And I'm not taking any shots. I'm just saying the fact that they hadn't been there in a while, but it's not like a, a, a franchise where you're kind of used to it to where it's a big deal, but it's it's kind of par for the course you expect it. And so for a franchise like Carolina, when they get there, and I think through the 2015 season, after about, you know, 14, after about 12 or 13 weeks, I think the Panthers fans probably felt pretty strongly they had a great chance to get to the Super Bowl because of the way that they were dominating. Man, yeah, they, fifteen and one is not a great season. It's historic. It, to to only lose, and and to lose that late in the regular season, and then to 
win the way you did against Seattle, which was great, by the way, right? Because you have two wins that year against what had developed into a little bit of a rivalry. And you needed that first win in, what was it, week five after the bye? Or week six, I should say, when they go to 5-0. and That was a win you desperately needed to keep that rivalry, like do your part. And then to win in the postseason, now it's okay, we're here. Like Carolina, especially with that team seemingly being built to last, that was what was so frustrating. Because then you see them fall the way they did, not have a winning season right after that. Part of the victim to the Super Bowl hangover curse. And then the next year, they get off to a good start. And then I, you know, still tough. Or 2017, they get back to the postseason. But yeah, that one was tough too, just watching them not have a winning season afterwards. Going into it, I I didn't feel like great about their chances. It just I was felt like they enough, had so but, much momentum. That was yeah. the thing, the way that they were dominating. You felt like they were a train that couldn't be stopped. Yeah, that defense was just so good all year long. I did see somebody and on the text line. they were great in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and they were. And Carolina's defense was good enough, too. They got ran on a little bit, but, I mean, it still wasn't a great yards per average. I mean, C.J. Anderson had 23 carries for 90 yards, had a touchdown, former Panther, C.J. Anderson, by the way. But, yeah, I mean, it was still Coney Ely, perhaps one of the most uh, out-of-nowhere Super Bowl performances, would have won MVP if Carolina found a way to get that win. Unless you're talking about heroic comeback effort from Cam, Coney Ely recording three sacks and an interception. What a crazy game from somebody you never expected it from and really didn't do anything afterwards. And then you had Thomas Davis playing with yeah. one arm. Oh, oh yeah. I forgot and, about oh, that too. Yeah. I, I forgot like, like, about that too. That's ultimate football, football guy bleep right there. Yeah. Like I ain't questioning really that man. No, I'm good. Yeah, it definitely was. When we come back on the Weston Walker show, we're going to go to the Kona and we got some WWE news to discuss quickly before we get to the Kona on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.